Acts 5, 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Thank you, Brenda. Good morning. Today is Veterans Day, and so uh, we would like to acknowledge those of you who have served or are serving in our armed forces. So would you please stand, if that's the case. We would just want to recognize you and thank you. Thank you. We know we wouldn't have the freedoms we do, including the freedom to be able to gather like this and worship God so freely without your sacrifices. So thank you so much. Homer, in his Odyssey, writes about a war that happened many years ago. It was called the Greek War, the Trojan War. And it was a battle between Troy and that city-state and the Greeks gathered around. The Greeks besieged the city of Troy for ten years and were not able to take it. So finally, it looked like they were giving up. They built this huge wooden horse, supposedly as an offering to the goddess Athena, the goddess of war, and they left it, and then during the day they all sailed away, giving up on the battle. But it was a ploy, (laughs) because when the Trojans wheeled that horse into their city, thinking they'd won a great victory, during that night, the fleet sailed back, the Greeks came back, Those that were hiding inside the horse jumped out, opened the gates. The Greeks came in and defeated and took the city of Troy. As we've seen, great things are happening in the early church as we've looked in the book of Acts. People were being saved and healed. The hand of God was bringing tremendous oneness and generosity. God was being exalted. 
Jesus was seen as Lord, but we have an enemy, Satan. And in chapters 4 and then again later in 5, he tries to attack from outside like the Greeks. But in our passage today, he tries an internal attack, a Trojan horse attack from within. You see, if sin and hypocrisy, lying, deceit can take root in the church, it will be weakened and God will not be seen for who he is. The image of God will be tainted. So as we look at this passage together, this internal attack from Satan himself, we need to ask ourselves, are we letting Satan undermine our effectiveness as the image of God to the world? Are we letting hypocrisy live in our own hearts and in our Christian communities that we're part of? Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your word is powerful. Feed us from your word today. And may we not hide the reality of what's within. Like Ananias and Sapphira, may you open our hearts to receive fully your forgiveness in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. So what was this internal attack, this Trojan horse that Satan threw at the church as it was functioning so well? Well, we see it in verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only a part to lay at the apostles' feet. So they sold this piece of property. They'd seen what was going on at the end of Chapter 4, it says many people were selling fields and bringing the proceeds. And then it talks about Barnabas, who sold a piece of property and laid it, the proceeds at the apostles' feet. And what was going on with Ananias and Sapphira? Well, it appears that they were watching all this. And, you know, it was a very public event to lay the money at the apostles' feet. And they're thinking, wow, you know, people are getting a lot of status here in the early church. I want that. But I also kind of excited about, you know, being able to buy this new TV I saw on sale down the road, you know, the corner or whatever. Maybe it was a camel or a donkey. So they came up with this ploy. Isn't this great? Well, pretend like we're giving everything from the field that we sold. So everybody will think we're awesome. But we'll just fudge a little bit. You know, we'll just keep a little bit to ourselves. We sold it for this much, they say, but, you know, we'll just lie a little bit. Not a very big lie. What were they doing? Well, the New Testament word for it is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. We throw that word around. We've heard it. What does it really mean? Well, actually, the word hypocrite in the Greek world was actually the word for actor. An actor in the theater. Because in the actors in those days, they would hold up a mask and keep it over their face while they're playing a part. They would pretend to be somebody else than they really are. So in the New Testament picks that up and says, yeah, that's very dangerous. That's pretending to be better than you are, putting on a mask, hiding what's really going on, hiding your sin, hiding your faults, hiding your struggles, and pretending to be better 
than you are. How did this begin to take root in Ananias' life? Well, it comes out in the passage, verse 3, where Peter confronts him about it. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Then verse 4, he says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, literally placed this deed in your heart? Down in verse 9, Peter said to Sapphira, how is it that you have agreed together, conspired together, colluded together? So you see this progression of what's happened. Satan comes and tempts Ananias, plants the idea in his mind. Hey, you know, I could do this and I could get the best, keep a foot in both worlds. It'll be awesome, you know, and no one will really know. It's not that big a deal. So he planted it in his heart, it says. And then he got his wife in on it. Hey, we can get away with this. No one will know. It'll be great. But he ended up lying to Peter, and as Peter says, you're ultimately lying to God. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. This is not hidden. You're not pretending. You're not getting away with it. It's interesting to me that Ananias, that name in the Greek, means God is gracious. Ananias, God is gracious. I don't know about you, but I I think about that, and I think, you know, I think what he's doing, part of what Ananias is doing, is presuming on God's grace. How many times have I said, and maybe you've said, you know what, I know I shouldn't do this, but God will forgive me. God's gracious. We rationalize, we justify because God is such a gracious God. And so we allow sin to be planted in our hearts. We rationalize it. We ignore God's holiness like Ananias was doing here. And you know what? God won't have that. God will not allow us to ignore his holiness. He always will bring consequences to that. He is gracious. He's loving. He's amazing. He's also incredibly holy and pure and righteous. And he wants us to keep both those in mind, as we live our Christian life, we can't just hold on to grace. We must also hold on to his holiness. Where did they need to stop this whole process? Well, right at the temptation, right? Satan throws in your mind, you know, hey, you could get away with this. No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Forget it. But he planted it in his heart and then it was taking root and it began to be lived out. When we place sin in our hearts, that's where it begins to control us in ways that we never imagined would happen. You see, the danger for the early church right here is if hidden lies, hypocrisy and pretending could take root in the early church, it would undermine the spirit's control and it would tarnish the image of God that they were meant to display to the watching world around them. It would tie the Spirit's hands. It's the same with our hearts. You see, if, if we begin pretending to be better than we are and we put up an image and we don't pretend like we're not struggling and we, we just hide our sin, we hold on to secret sin and all of that, instead of admitting we're all sinners who desperately need His forgiveness every minute of every day, 
then it will undermine God's work in us. Hypocrisy, it's so easy, though, isn't it? I mean, we all do it. Let's be honest. We all do it. One of the ways hypocrisy manifests itself in my own heart and I I have to battle against is there's just this tendency in me to want to look, you know, not not a big deal, right? But just a little better than I am. Just a little better. So I see it coming out of my mouth in ways like, you know, people ask, you know, how many men were at men's group on Thursday? And, you know, I may know that there were 43 And I'll say, well, around 45 to 50. It's like, why do I do that? Because I'm just like Ananias. I want to look a little better than I am. But that's hypocrisy. And it could be manifest in a lot of different ways. It's living a lie. It's foolishness. So how does God respond to hypocrisy in this case in the early church? We kind of expect, you know, a little slap on the wrist, right? (laughs) But what does God actually do? As we've just heard, it's pretty shocking, his response. First, though, let's look at Peter's confrontation in verses 3 through 5 as he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back, keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Come on, what are you doing here? I know what you're doing. You're lying. And he simply exposes the sin of Ananias, this public sin. He doesn't hide it. He, he, he somehow knew of the deception. Now, we don't know why, if the word got around somehow. We're not told how Peter knew. I tend to think a big part of it, the reason he knew and could see it so clearly in Ananias is because Peter had had to confront his own sin. Remember when he denied Jesus three times? I'll never, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And he completely failed and yet he got restored by grace. But facing his own sin, I think, had made Peter very sensitive to hypocrisy and sin so that he could see right through Ananias. He simply points out what Ananias had done. He just exposes it. You're, you're lying. And he, but he talks about it as, you're not just lying to me. You're not lying to us. You're lying to God. You're letting, letting Satan control you. It's a good reminder, brothers and sisters, that every choice we make, we think we may be getting away with something, but... It has huge spiritual implications. It doesn't just affect us. It affects others. It's like, it's like a, a pebble dropped in water and the ripples go out and out. It, it's bigger than us when we let sin live in our lives and try to hide it. The supposed secret sins that we think no one knows, the little hidden area of our lives, the pornography we look at, that harboring of anger and resentment against somebody. And we hang on to it and we don't let it go and we don't forgive and all those little things. We could talk about more and more things, but the things we hang on to, they do impact us. They go out and out in these ripples. And I look at Peter here being very direct. It kind of strikes me, you know, some of us might have, I think maybe I would have said, hey, Ananias, okay, Brother, we're going to let's talk about this. 
You know, I have a little inside knowledge, and I'm not sure you're being completely truthful. I want to give you every chance here to come clean. <laughs> it's your opportunity here. You know, what do you want to say? Are you sure you want to say you paid that much? Let me help you. You know, maybe you're a little struggling a little bit here. Let's let's talk. But Peter doesn't soften it. He just exposes the sin. And that's a good encouragement for us to just be direct sometimes. Now, we're not to go around looking for people to confront, right? Looking for their sin. That's not what God's called us to. But when God makes clear that sin is hurting another Christian brother or sister, we have an obligation to be honest, to step in, to, to say, hey, I see this in your life. It's obvious. Please, let's deal with it together. I've shared this story before, but it was a powerful time in my life when a number of years ago here at Cole, I'd been here a few years, and Chris Riddell was senior pastor, and he took me aside and he said, hey, I, I'm seeing some, something in your life we need to talk about. I'm seeing a critical spirit. And he was right. I had let... I planted in my heart some resentment and some critical attitudes towards some people. And, and it wasn't good. And he saw it and he pointed it out. And by God's grace, I was able to say, you are absolutely right. I am so sorry. We talked about it and, and being able to repent of that and let it go was just so freeing for me. And, and you know what? My ministry at Cole changed after that. God opened doors for ministry because... You know, when we get that stuff out and we're not harboring it and holding on to it, God is given free reign in our lives. So God's response to this kills him. (laughs) Verse 5 and 6, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Now, You may say, well, maybe he was just shocked by shame or something. Well, the same thing happened to his wife. This was from God. God struck him down. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, whoa, that's pretty extreme, Lord. (laughs) Why do we feel that way? Well, because we're kind of like Ananias. (laughs) And we know we deserve the same thing. It shocks us because we know we're hypocrites, too. So why was it so extreme? Why did God respond in this way with Ananias? We don't see a lot of that happening today, do we? Some think, well, there must have been some deeper sin in Ananias and Sapphira. There's no evidence of that in the text. None. None. So I just, I don't see that there. I think there's two things we need to learn from this by God's response. His severe judgment. On Ananias, number one, every sin deserves death. He wants us to remember that he is holy and pure and every sin, even these little things that don't seem like that big a deal, they deserve death. Don't forget that God is holy. Secondly, the reason I think he's so severe is that this is the beginning of the church. The very beginning, if lies and deceit and hypocrisy are allowed to take root and live in the early church, it will undermine the church. 
And right from the start, God wants to make clear that is not something God wants to have happen. He is holy and he wants us to keep in mind his holiness. Now, this isn't the first time in Scripture that God did this kind of thing at the beginning of something. Let me give you just two instances. We could come up with more, but think about when Joshua is leading the people into the promised land and they march around Jericho and the walls fall and and they they take the city and the law was very clear. The rules from God were very clear. Don't take any plunder. But Achan took plunder. This was the very beginning of taking the land. And Achan was treated very severely and put to death for just taking a little bit of the plunder. Why so severe? Because God wanted to make very clear at the beginning of taking the land, you need to remember my holiness and not play around with sin. (laughs) It will destroy you. It will lead to death. When David was bringing the ark into the city of Jerusalem and they were dancing, they were so excited about God and they were dancing and, and the cart begins to tip and Yuzah just touches the ark and he struck dead. And David's angry. <laughs> what are you doing, God? This seems so severe. But what did David learn? He learned something about God's holiness, that as you bring the ark in and you are creating Jerusalem as my holy city, you cannot play around with me. I am a holy God. And he wanted that to be a clear message right from the beginning of taking the land, right from the beginning of setting up Jerusalem as the holy place, right from the beginning of the early church. Never forget my holiness. I am pure And righteous, I am reminding you of that. In his book, Daring to Draw Near, John White says this, What then is God's anger? It's an implacable hostility to all that is evil. Therefore, we're to live with fear. Fear is a stepping stone to enrichment in our spiritual life. Without fear, we are exposed to dangers of which we have little or no understanding. If through fear we learn reverence for God, our feet will be set on the road that leads to wisdom. In his mercy, God allowed his just judgment upon Israel, speaking of the Yuza Ark incident, to awaken Israel in general and David in particular to something they all badly needed to know, that God is God and humans are human and that God's presence in their midst was a privilege a human race will never deserve and must never take for granted. The bottom line is Jesus is sending a message. God's sending a message. Don't try to fool or manipulate God for your own purposes. Harboring sin will always lead to death, if not physical death, then spiritual death. Ray Sedman says it this way. The moment we pretend to be something we're not, we are immediately cut off from the flow of the life of Christ. This doesn't mean that we're no longer Christians, but it means that instead of being part of a living, vital movement, we become dead and unresponsive cells in the body. Paralysis sets in through the area over which we have influence. This story of Ananias and Sapphira underscores for us the result of our own hypocrisy. The minute they pretended to be something they were not, the result was death. Why? 
Why so severe again? Because God is holy. And we are here to reflect his image to the world. But if we're hypocrites, then people will get a distorted view of who God really is. A friend was just telling me this week that he sat down with three of his unbelieving friends and they've spent a lot of time together and they were chatting and and he just said, you know, tell me the first word that comes to mind when you think of Christians. Guess what all three of them said? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Now, I know media says all kinds of stuff, but if they're rubbing shoulders with, with people like you and me, with believers, I would wish that they would say, oh, yeah, Christians. The word that comes to mind is love or generosity or kindness or compassion or honesty, authenticity, Jesus, something other than hypocrite. It's a good reminder, I guess, that it's not our pretended righteousness, our trying to look good, that draws people. It's our desperate need for Jesus and our dependence on him, our authenticity, our admitting our failures and struggles that draws people to him when we release God in our life. So verse 7 through 10, what happens? Same thing happens to Sapphira. (laughs) She walks in. Peter says, hey, is this right? Is this what you sowed the the field for? And she says, yeah, uh uh-huh. And he says, man, i got to have another funeral today, I guess. Because she just goes, he says, you're going to die too. He kind of figured it out by then. that this was going to happen. And he says, yeah, the young men are at the door who will bury you. I can just see those young men, you know. It's like, that was a lot of work. They walk in and, oh, no, another one. (laughs) Don't we get a break? God's amazing. He's one, as we saw last week. He's a unity. He's generous. He is Lord of all. He's loving. He's gracious. But he's also holy. We don't like being confronted with his holiness because it shows us to be utterly and completely bankrupt morally and spiritually. But we will fall into hypocrisy unless we keep God's holiness in mind. And so this passage is so good about reminding us that God is holy. And that hypocrisy taints that and keeps us from functioning well. I remember years ago going camping with my dad, our family, and our truck wasn't running very well. And it kept cutting out, and then it would die, and it would take a while to start. And, you know, we barely made it out, and we barely made it back home and had the truck checked out. turned out there was just a little bit of water in the gas tank. And that little bit of impurity, that's just a little bit. I'm just hanging on to a little bit. (laughs) Kept that truck from functioning like it should have. So sin and hypocrisy does in our hearts. It keeps us from being individually and as a church what 
God's called us to be. It's a Trojan horse that Satan used to destroy our usefulness. But what happens when we're ruthless with our sin, when we're willing to be open about it and repent of it and get it out of ourselves and of our community? Well, we see in verse 11 through 16, I think this is the direct result of what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. There was an awe. There was a deep sense that, whoa, God's at work here. He's a holy God and he's not to be toyed with. Oh, how we need, how you and I both need a greater sense of awe at God's work in our lives. The book Resident Aliens by Hauerwas and Willimon, they write this. Great fear. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of God. It is fearful to realize that the church is more than a matter of good-hearted fellowship, that nothing less than life or death is involved here. It is an awesome thing to realize how much God intends to make of us, a terror to know that God's determination is to make us or break us rather than leave us as we are. It's an awe-inspiring thing to know how great God's holiness is. Over the years, I've, I've seen how important it is for me to keep in mind God's holiness, and my prayers have changed over the years. And, and now when I pray in the morning, I, I've got a kind of a pattern for me. But the first thing I do when I pray is focus on God's holiness. That's where God has led me. Before I pray about anything else, Lord, you are holy. You are high and lifted up. You are righteous. You are pure. You are separate, separated from your creation in your greatness and awesomeness and holiness. And I spend time thinking that through and focusing on his holiness before I get to anything else. Because I, I just think we have to have that in perspective. A great fear was going on. Verse 12 and 13 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. The power of God was being released by the apostles' hands because they dealt with sin. It released the power of God for them to do amazing things. I think God was saying, look, purity leads to power. Getting sin dealt with leads to power in your life. And and he was also saying to the church, by the way, these men, these apostles who will write my New Testament are specially anointed by me. This isn't something we all can do. It was the apostles. God was anointing them specifically. Verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. The unbelievers were watching this, this community that upheld the holiness of God. And they were attracted to that. They were drawn to that. Sometimes we think, well, we just need to talk about God as a God of love. Yes, he's a God of love, but the only reason his love really, really matters 
is because of his holiness that we all deserve hell. And yet in his love, he has taken sin on himself, the sin that should have killed me and given us life. Therefore, grace is amazing because he's a holy God. So unbelievers were attracted to this kind of pure, unhypocritical Christianity. Multitudes of men and women. And then there was a lot of healing going on of broken lives. Says, so that even, verse 15, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, let me just say, there's no evidence that his shadow actually healed anybody. But there was just, people were so excited. There was some superstition going on, I think. But anyway, there was a lot of healing going on. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You see, when we deal with sin in our lives, it frees up God's healing power to use us to bring sometimes physical, more often today, spiritual healing In people's lives, when we admit our brokenness and don't hide and we deal with sin as it gets exposed in our lives and bring it to God and let him root it out of our lives rather than planting it in our lives. God can use us to heal the lives of others around us. I want you to note something in verse 11. Great fear came upon the whole church. The whole church. This is actually the very first time in the book of Acts that the church, that word church is used to describe the early Christian community. They'd been gathering and great things have been happening and they'd been selling their possessions and loving one another and all kinds of stuff. But they were never called the church before now. You know what I I think? The reason is, is that they could only fully be the church when they embrace not only God's power and his grace and his generosity, but when they also embraced his holiness. When they didn't forget his hatred of sin and his commitment to not pretend, but rather to really change us into his likeness. So, brothers and sisters, let's not minimize Sin. Let's confront it in our own hearts. And when we've done that, let's carefully, gently, after we've dealt with it, a log in our own eye, let's carefully and gently love one another and help one another. And when someone comes to you to confront you about your sin, even if they're not doing it right, let's receive it as the very word of God to us and at least wrestle before God. Is this true? And let God change you through it? Or will you be like Ananias and just pretend? And brothers and sisters, let's remember God's holiness. And exalt God for his holiness, his purity, and be in awe of who he is. It really has struck me that the Lord's Prayer, which we're very familiar with, we all know it. We say it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and... Have you ever realized the very first request that Jesus tells us to make of God is hallowed be thy name, which we like don't even know what that means, right? I mean, what is that? Hallowed, what is it? It means, God, may your name be treated as holy. May your name be treated as holy. Jesus wants that to be first 
in our prayers. First, on our minds. Lord, your holiness, may you be treated as holy. Let me not harbor anything that takes away from your holiness. Let our community not harbor anything that keeps your name from being treated as holy. So let's rejoice in God's grace. It's awesome. Knowing that without grace, we would be destroyed by our sin. I want to close with a quote from, again, Daring to Draw Near by John White, where he says this, Remember, you are in the presence of the Most High God. He gives you breath. He holds your pulsing heart between his fingers. His rage against evil will never cease. It does not harm you because in your case, it is assuaged by the blood of his only son. And for his sake, he welcomes you with love. So let your worship then be with reverence and with godly fear. Pray with me. Well, Lord, this is a convicting passage because it exposes what we really are. We are sinners who deserve the same death that Ananias and Sapphira got. And Lord, we recognize that. But we thank you for the cross that covers our sin. So may we not harbor sin, but may we keep in mind your holiness and let you transform us as we let go and repent of the things that we try to hide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.